Welcome to our show, Becoming a Great Physical Therapist. We are your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart. We are new grad physical therapists serving the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This podcast is made to inspire students, new grads, and seasoned physical therapists to become the greatest version of themselves clinically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and financially. Let's get into it. What's going on, everyone? We are back to Becoming a Great Physical Therapist podcast. And today we have a really awesome guest. He's a critical thinker. He's a thought leader. And he's really pushing the field forward. I can see him as a visionary and a really great physical therapist. And we actually did a uh, mentorship together, clinical athlete level up initiative mentorship. And so we got to know each other through there. We did some collaboration on Instagram too. So we've been homies for a while now throughout PT school. Welcome Dr. Dylan Carmody. Hey man, I, uh, I really appreciate it. It's probably more of an intro than I deserve, but I'll take whatever (laughs) I can get. Heck yeah. Had to hype you up. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. So Dylan, go ahead and just take us to kick things off. Just take us through your physical therapy journey. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, man. Um, first things first for both of you guys, I appreciate you inviting me on and, uh, letting me share a little bit of my story and just kind of chat. It's been fun getting to know Ethan, you over the years and stuff like that. And, uh, Joey, you seem like a stand up guy since, uh, the last couple minutes that we've been chatting. Um, but appreciate that. yeah, of course. Um, so from a PT perspective, I feel like I have a pretty vanilla journey. Um, when I was around 10 years old, I had a hip injury. Um, and so that kind of set me back. Didn't get the, the rehab or the necessary care I needed early on. And so that kind of sent me down the road of getting a couple surgeries and doing all that kind of stuff. And so that kind of put me down the road of a long journey of rehab for over the course of, you know, I guess combined probably two or so years. Um, Unfortunately, like when you look back on it, I feel like I've, I've resonated with a couple people about this, but, um, looking back on, you know, your exposure, your initial exposure to PT, like, I don't necessarily think I got amazing rehab, um, knowing what I know now, but, um, it was a cool exposure of me understanding that I enjoyed the environment and I enjoyed the facets that, um, PT lends itself to in terms of being able to interact with a variety of different individuals from different walks of life and those sorts of things. Um, but so that was, you know, early on in my life and, you know, beforehand I was convinced I was going to be the point guard for the Lakers, but, you know, looking in the mirror, I'm about five foot five. And so I think that dream was squandered pretty early on. Um, so my thought behind that was, you know, how, how close can I get to something along those lines without actually being an athlete? Um, so that led me down the kind of sports performance, physical therapy journey. Um, in undergrad, I was a kinesiology major with a concentration in exercise science. And so, um, when I was in undergrad, I was just honestly fully convinced that I was just going to go strength and conditioning route. Um, I was super fortunate to have landed a strength and conditioning internship that kind of led towards, um, just spending a full like a year working as a SNC coach kind of a thing in a, a division one weight room at Cal Poly. So I had a super awesome experience working with a bunch of different teams, um, and had a, some awesome mentorship under two amazing strength and conditioning coaches. Um, so I was super fortunate in that regard to have kind of had those exposures. Um, 
And to be honest, I had like heard some, I, I don't want to call them horror stories, but some not great things about the PT profession from individuals that were in it or had already left. And so for a while I was kind of convinced like, well, I already have this in with strength and conditioning, might as well just pursue that and, you know, not worry so much about PT. Um, but then it was funny. I, I was working with a, I can still remember I was working with a basketball player and he was kind of complaining to me about some shoulder pain. And immediately I was like, well, it's kind of out of my scope. I don't know if I would like want to give you too much advice about this, but, um, that kind of led me down doing my own kind of research. And, um, at that time, my research was just looking at YouTube videos and stuff. And I came across a, uh, juggernaut training systems video, which was, um, a video that Quinn was actually on, um, for those not familiar Quinn Hennick, but, um, essentially like I had realized like, Oh dang, this is an interesting way in which a physical therapist is approaching rehab. It seems like they're, you know, working with barbells, they're working with barbell athletes, they're doing these sorts of things that really just looks like strength and conditioning. And so that really opened my eyes into what PT could be like. So led me to apply to a couple of schools, ended up going to a school called Thomas Jefferson University out in Philadelphia, where I was super fortunate again to have been exposed to a bunch of cool mentors and different people um, in the field. And, um, you know, that kind of journey has just recently finished as of, you know, about two weeks ago, um, having just recently graduated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings me to essentially today where I wear a couple different hats in terms of what I do. Um, right now I work as a kind of hybrid strength and conditioning coach and physical therapist at a, uh, kind of sports performance facility, uh, and physical therapy clinic just outside Portland, Oregon. Um, it's called Apex Power, uh, excuse me, Performance Wellness Rehab. Still getting my name down. Um, but yeah, so I work for them as well as um, work with two different online kind of communities. The first being uh, CalU, um, which was kind of a branch from like Clinical Athlete and the Level Up Initiative, where I kind of spearhead a lot of their marketing content as well as um, some of the onboarding for new members um, and kind of dipping my toes in some of the education side of things within the CalU members as well. Um, and then I also work with, uh, a company called citizen athletics, where I mainly help out similarly in terms of some of the, uh, kind of strength and conditioning type, uh, side of things, help out with some of the rehab templates, uh, marketing, as well as we're slowly building out a little bit of the kind of one-on-one -on -one pain and rehab sector type things. A little bit of a long intro, but hopefully that kind of covers most things. No, it, it for sure did. That's a, it's definitely a unique come up story too. Like in the sense of how like strength and conditioning was like kind of like your everything to start off. And like, as you slowly got exposed to the PT world, you kind of began to like marry the two concepts together. So that's really cool to hear about. Yeah, totally. It was, it's um, definitely not something that's all that new these days, you know? And I think that's super cool just because, Hopefully, depending on the setting that individuals work in, um, that should be somewhat of a good transition that many people can kind of afford to do um, in terms of just kind of leaning into some of the more strength and conditioning aspects of the care that we provide, um, especially when working with people who have, you know, high achieving goals. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, a little more about you. Um, just... Tell us some things that bring you joy outside of physical therapy. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, 
So pretty much outside of PT, first and foremost, I, I enjoy spending time with my girlfriend. Um, both of us are really into just kind of being outdoors. So anything that pulls us that direction, we're all about, whether it's mountain biking, hiking, running, um, you know, I mean, both of us have gotten kind of into disc golf randomly. And so that's been fun to just kind of mess around with. Um, personally, I have played music for most of my life. And so whether that's playing drums, playing guitar, playing, uh, I don't know, pretty much anything else. Um, those are some of the things that I truly just enjoy doing and allows me to kind of, um, I don't know, let my brain kind of decompress essentially and just uh, allow myself to not really think too hard about some of the PT things that are always kind of stirring around in my head. Um, but beyond that, you know, I feel like just as anybody else does, you know, go hang out with some friends, um, spend quality time with family, those sorts of things, I think really kind of still continue to fill my cup. That's awesome, man. Nice. Nice. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought up, fill up your cup because I feel like our profession is one where it's very easy to try and pour from an empty your cup. So good on you for mentioning that and being conscious of that. Yeah, man. Thanks. Yep. Yep. It seems like you and your lady like to just explore different types of movement, you know, jumping into, you know, a random sport like disc golf. So I respect it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man. Anything to get outside the house. I hear you. So Dylan. I bet Oregon's got some beautiful uh, disc golf courses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yep. Yep. So Dylan, you're very involved with, uh, you know, the clinical athlete and level up initiative. And I just think so highly of like, you know, both of the, or Cal, you, you know, they're, they're together now. And I think they're like, a, have really contributed to a lot of growth and a lot of like new vision in the field of physical therapy and kind of pushing the field forward. And I'm just curious more on your role with Cal U and, and how have you grown through being a, you know, one of the big players in Cal U? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's an awesome question. I, I echo your remarks in terms of, you know, even before being involved with them, uh, I, I feel like they were, you know, imperative to my growth and things like that as a early clinician and student and all those sorts of things. Um, essentially, I guess it, it started with, uh, going through kind of like you had mentioned earlier, um, both Ethan and I were a part of cohort six of the level up initiative, uh, mentorship. And so early on, um, Zach and Steph like had sent out an email essentially saying like, Hey, we're looking for interns. Um, click the link to apply essentially. Um, and I, it's kind of a funny story. I remember, uh, I, I specifically remember like what I was doing when I got the email, just cause I was like grocery shopping going through and I like got a buzz on my phone, looked down and I was like, Oh, just an email clicked on it. saw that it was like a opportunity. And immediately like in my head, I just was sort of like, wow, this is something that I know I need to jump on. And it was just like one of those kind of feelings that you get sometimes where you're just like, wow, this, this actually, it seems like this could be a super cool opportunity. So quite literally, I just like left the shopping cart somewhere randomly in the uh, grocery store, just got in my car, didn't get groceries that day. Um, and I went home and I like started my application. And I remember like specifically on the application, I was like, yeah, just don't worry about it. Take like 15 minutes. Just tell us about yourself and all that kind of stuff. I, just, I probably spent a good like hour and a half on the thing. Like I was just like, I wanted to make sure I was like, I like this is, these are people that I really resonate with. I want to make sure that like, there's at least some, I, I gave it my best guess or gave it my best effort, I should say. 
Um, and so, yeah, that kind of led me to being an email marketing intern was essentially my title for about a year or so where um, I just helped out with them with the kind of marketing schemes from an email uh, standpoint from both their mentorship as well as some of the kind of uh, paid products that they delivered at the time, kind of like the Palu Summit and some of those sorts of things. And so um, over time, just kind of started to build a relationship with both Zach and Steph. And once the Cali merger kind of came on, like obviously hanging out with all the clinical athlete people as well, um, it all just sort of seemed to gel pretty well in terms of me just continuing to hang out. Um, and then over time, it just kind of was able to develop into, a, I guess, a part-time role, um, essentially that I now work for them in terms of the marketing standpoint of things. So I'm kind of the person who, you know, I sit down with Zach probably once a week and we hash things out over, um, marketing and what our plan and what our goals are for like the next month or, you know, next week or those sorts of things. And so I, I spearhead a lot of the Instagram posts, a lot of the emails, um, and then have started to dabble into some of the kind of, um, new member onboarding sequences as well as, um, you know, starting to do some more education within the company as well. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's been a super awesome opportunity. It's honestly just been one of those things where I applied because I knew who these people were. And they were honestly some of my like quote, like you can call PT idols, you know, they're the people that I looked up to a ton in the field. Um, and I knew I wanted to do anything I can to try and learn from them. And so it's just been a super cool opportunity so far just to continue to grow and learn and, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff with people that I've looked up to and continue to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And, it's apparent just seeing like some of the qualities of, you know, other like really great PTs we have had on and you, it's like, you kind of mentioned you, you were really seeking that growth. You were really seeking that mentorship from, you know, those people that you aligned with and you kind of want to be in their position. It kind of sounds like, and you, you sought that out. So I think that's really cool, Dylan. Um, yeah, I do want it's to one of those things. Over. I feel like uh, they're just a lot of, one thing that I've noticed just consistently throughout the field is like uh, almost everybody that I've talked to that I have like immediately like resonated with or like um, just looked up to it in some point, like has some connection within the community. Like it's uh, the way that like Zach and I have called it, it's like, it's just an immediate vibe check, you know, like if you resonate with this person, like they're part of that community, you're just like, yeah, okay, we're going to get along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm absolutely, absolutely on board with that because you know, People in the Cal U community, you know, there's people who do manual therapy who are like really manual therapy focused, people who are very exercise focused, you know, even people like who use modalities. But it's like, you know, this person is about critical thinking. They're about um, empathy and like having an open mind. And that's really what the community is about. You know, I think Cal U, like, of course, like is strong with the active intervention, but it's very open to, you know, other ideas as well. And that's what I love about the community. It's not like you have to think this way or do this to be a part. So yeah, for sure. And kind of pivoting from there. And I know you've done a good amount of kind of research on like, and even application on, on critical thinking regarding like uh, clinical practice. And I'm curious how you approach that critical thinking, you know, especially when we're seeing so many patients in a day, what does that look like for you? Yeah, man. Um, so th honestly, I think that's a super solid question. Um, 
I feel like uh, one, I appreciate the, the, I guess the recognition in terms of critical thinking and things like that. It's, it's a cool area. I personally don't know how much, uh, like true, like systems thinking research or anything like that, that I've done, um, from an in, like in-depth perspective. Um, but it is always something that's super interesting to me in terms of just how, how are, how are little ecosystem of physical therapy, you know, how they approach what we perceive to be critical thinking. Um, I feel like it's a little mini like soapbox of mine in terms of um, what people call critical thinking. I feel like a lot of times you ask somebody, especially within this community, um, their immediate like kind of uh, answer to like, what is critical thinking is always like, Oh yeah. How else could you describe this thing? Um, And it's, it's not, it's not wrong to appreciate that. Um, That is an aspect of critical thinking. But when we think about the ideas of like, uh, principles and methods and like those sorts of things the way I view that like phrase of like, how else can you describe this as a method of critical thinking, right? Like that is one piece of the pie. It may be a big chunk for sure. Um, however, it's like critical thinking is more than just asking what are the other ways to, uh, appreciate this situation or understand the situation. Um, like when you think about it from a big picture perspective, like critical thinking itself is the idea of like combining both like data gathering skeptical appraisal and just like general kind of you can call it like creative thought um to come up with essentially what the most reasonable conclusion to something is you know um so you're combining a whole bunch of different fields and like i don't know ways to appraise things um all into one cohesive approach and so um sure like you 100 percent use that and ask like what other ways are there to you know um explain this phenomenon that you're looking at but you could also literally just ask any other question, you know, like asking questions in and of itself is a form of critical thinking that I think that people don't always immediately think about. Um, I think critical thinking is super important, but I think people can overplay it in terms of like, Oh, I need to like revamp or reassess everything that I'm doing. It's like, no, you just got to ask more questions or maybe be more like reflective on what you're doing and like self-reflect on yourself. Like that's another form of critical thinking. Um, even something that a lot of times, I don't know, sometimes people don't always immediately appreciate it, but I like the idea of like what I call like take thinking risks, you know, like if you have an idea, you have a thought like, yeah, this might be, you know, potentially relevant. Um, um, a lot of times I think people will say, well, what other ways could you explain that? Um, you're not wrong by going down that road, but you could also take that thinking risk and just say, all right, let's follow this and see what comes of this with my given hypothesis. Once I test that hypothesis and maybe it comes back right, well, then now I have a little bit of a theory that I can kind of apply to other people. Um, If that is still consistent throughout, then great. You can now kind of put that in your bag of, um, you know, how you currently view the world. But um, I feel like rather than just only asking yourself, what are the other ways in which you can describe a certain phenomenon, like being able to expand that as your definition of critical thinking is super important and super helpful. Um, I guess one, uh, one method or one opportunity that I, I tend to go back to is almost just like creating different avatars in your head of, um, like, like for example, Ethan, you and I, like we've grown to know each other over the years, um, from going through a bunch of different mentorships and all those sorts of things. And so, um, in my head, I could create like an Ethan avatar and be like, you know how, like, this is what I'm seeing. How would Ethan tackle this situation? What are some of the things that he thinks? I know Ethan's super big on movement optimism, on educating people on like safe, the safety of movement and those sorts of things. Um, whereas I could 
you know, create a different archetype of um, myself and be like, okay, how would I associate or tackle this situation? How would somebody like, I don't know, say like Eric Mara attack tackle this sort of situation? So you kind of pick and choose. So rather than saying like, how else could I describe this? You then just put the onus on somebody else um, in -hmm. terms of just saying like, all right, this person would likely like, I don't know, I know them well enough to the point where like they would probably approach with X, Y, Z. Let's test those sorts of things out and see what kind of outcomes I can get that way. Um, especially as a new grad and especially as somebody who's early in this field, like I am by far anybody who's going to have all the answers, you know? And so being able to be, uh, appreciative of how other people are going to tackle situations is going to be super important. One last little like tangent, I guess is, um, I, so like I said before, I'm really into music and I remember listening to an interview, um, a while back with a musician who's an incredible guitar player. Um, and they were asked, you know, like, Hey, like, how did, like, how did you come up with your sound? Um, and their response was just essentially like, I created my sound by trying to emulate everybody else that I looked up to, but you know, like, and they gave the examples, like, I'll never sound like BB King. I'll never sound like Eric Clapton. I'll never sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Cause I'm not them. Um, but I can sound like me. And that's the same thing with these sorts of like critical thinking, um, I don't know, exercises you could think about it. Like I, I'm never going to practice like Ethan, but I can implement some of the things that Ethan does and I can put that into my own practice and voila. Now I've got a new kind of bag of tricks that I can call upon if I deem them to be relevant. So that's like my critical thinking tangent, I guess. Nice. And I think that's powerful. I think that's a really awesome exercise. So like the avatar, it's like, you know, this person kind of follows these principles and it's like, so based off these principles, like how they approach this problem. And I really like how you reframed critical thinking as basically just not taking data at face value and just asking more questions. Like, like, what does this mean? Like, how can I apply this? So it's, it seems like it's critical thinking is that at just at least like kind of second order thinking, not, not just um, the data alone, but kind of putting that, looking at all the different data you have and putting it together the best you can to make, you know, an informed decision. So I I really appreciate your take on that. Totally. It's one of those things where I think we, we get hung up on a lot of, different things of like, is that critical thinking or is that, you know, like, is that really like how you're supposed to do it or whatever? Um, something I always think of is like, what if you just took critical away? You're just, you're just thinking, right. You're thinking about something. You can just reassess. Like, I think we, when, once we attach labels to things, I think we immediately deem them as like a certain way of doing something, right. Critical thinking is no different from just normal thinking. You're just being a little bit more diligent about it. And so yeah. if you're reassessing a situation, reappraising beliefs, if you're um, going back over something that you previously thought, like all of that, you're still just thinking about something. And so yeah. I feel like sometimes just removing part of the label or just making things seem more approachable um, is super helpful, at least for me, in terms of just, I don't know, looking at something and saying, okay, I'm just thinking about this. I don't need to think about a method of critical thinking. I don't need to think about, like, am I doing this right? I'm just assessing what's going on and thinking about it to the best of my ability. Yeah, just having some reflection and just and being insightful with it. So that's great. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm also glad you brought up the um, avatar idea and kind of how like 
you can frame your thinking as to how someone else might think. Because I mean, if you think about it, like I think the for me personally, the one thing that was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around all throughout PT school was, well, okay, how do you critically think in that sense? And um, obviously it's going to be different for everybody. So I think putting yourself in other people's perspectives or maybe even taking something from their perspectives to kind of keep warping your own, I think is very important, especially when you're in school or fresh out of school. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, for sure. But kind of moving on a little bit, Dylan, and you touched on this a little bit already, but, you know, you're apparently just very focused on just growing yourself and like clinical practice and just understanding the research. And I'm just curious, what what do you recommend to others to cultivate their own diligence, you know, that you've shown regarding clinical growth? Ethan, you give me too much credit, man. <laughs> um, no, I mean, honestly, um, if you want my like, uh, short answer, I'm, I'm not good with delayed gratification. Um, I like, I would so much rather read a paper than like an actual novel or a book. Um, like I, I literally had this conversation with my girlfriend last night. Um, cause she refuses to believe it. Um, but like, I honestly don't, it's probably like a personal flaw of my own. I, truthfully do not find a lot of enjoyment out of like taking a long period of time to go through things. Um, and I think that I probably need to do a better job of doing that because I know that there are nuances that I'm missing out on, or there are, um, other things that I can actually be, uh, that I can benefit from by not, um, just rushing through things. But the example that I always give is like, I would much rather read an eight page paper, um, on something so that I can immediately have tangible takeaways from, then spend two to four to six weeks reading a book that uh, I just personally like don't enjoy. Um, I also think that like, personally, like I said, like you giving me too much credit, like we all go through different phases of learning, you know, like some, some days you're going to be super interested in like Achilles tendon architecture or something like that. And some days you're going to be super interested in the bachelor and that's totally fine. You know, like I, I think that a lot of times, a lot of people just like, perceive everybody else to be, I don't know, always doing something new in terms of clinical development, always um, trying to grow with clinical practice or I don't know, talking about research or those sorts of things. I think research is an amazing starting point and is an amazing way for clinicians to get a better way of sort of like sense making within physical therapy and within the world. Um, <clears throat> but I think that there are plenty of other things that make a really good clinician. Um, I also Honestly, well, personally, from a like clinical development standpoint, I granted I didn't uh, come up with this. I gotta give credit to uh, Anthony Anarino, who was like the guy who gave me this analogy. But um, the analogy of like clinical development, like getting gains in the gym, you know, early on, it's super easy. Like me as a brand new clinician, like I truthfully don't have to be diligent. I can literally just go to the clinic, work with clients, and I'm just going to get better just by virtue of working with people. And similarly, if you've never trained before, never stepped foot in a gym, you literally look at a dumbbell and immediately get bigger biceps. Like it's just insane how quickly people uh, get gain strength, gain hypertrophy, just gain better energy systems development, all of those sorts of things. Um, But at some point, you know, we all know like those phases are going to run out, you know, 
the newbie gains only last for so long. And then you realize that you can't just increase weight every single time you go to the gym. Um, same thing with clinical development. If you only rely on your patients to teach you things, um, then you're probably going to have some pretty big blind spots. Um, so continuing this analogy, I guess I like to use the idea of having uh, training partners, right? You have a, you have a gym buddy that you go to the gym with all the time. And that person's always going to try and squeeze that extra rep out of you or make sure that you can are actually, you know, uh, I don't know, performing whatever exercise to whatever kind of arbitrary constraint they want you to perform it in. Um, similarly with clinical development, having people in your corner that you trust, uh, to kind of give honest feedback, be able to reflect on some of the, um, ideas or opinions that you have. Um, and truthfully, like, I don't share articles, share papers, do those sorts of things. Um, that has truthfully been one of the biggest areas for me to grow clinically. I feel like if it weren't for having like the select few people that I will text or bounce ideas off of or something like that about different, um, clinical questions. I, I don't think that I'd be anywhere near where I am right now in terms of clinical development. Not at all that I'm like super far along or anything, but I think that it's just been super helpful to have different people that I can, you know, just call upon and say, Hey, do you want to chat about this? I've been really struggling with trying to figure out hamstring rehab or like, I've been really struggling because this one person who's got plantar heel pain just is not getting better. And I have no idea what to do. Um, just like having those sorts of conversations will always tend to spark my development and continuing kind of like you were talking about with like consuming research, talking about that, like most of the time people have articles in their back pocket, um, that they'll say like, Oh, have you read this? And to be honest, chances are the answer is no. So, um, having that as well has been super helpful for me just in terms of being able to communicate that with other people. Yeah. So it kind of sounds, one of the big things is just again, just surrounding yourself with, you know, those people that you look up to and those people that you can reach out to and bounce ideas off of. And yeah. And yeah, it also kind of just seems like with the research, you just have, you have a sense of urgency, you know, with that's another way to put it, you know? So it's like put a positive spin on it. You're like, Oh, I need to, you know, be a little bit more long-term, but you also do have a sense of urgency. And so I think uh, more people could also benefit from that. I appreciate that. So it's a, it's a sense of urgency for a non-urgent type thing, but you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a compliment if you're handing it out. There you go. All right. Kind of shifting gears here. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you face during your clinical rotations? <clears throat> Joey, I like, I, I dig your questions, man. Um, I, from a, from a rotation standpoint, I think, um, this might be a consistent theme within the Calu community, but, um, I kind of came into some of my rotations a little bit hesitant on certain, uh, treatment paradigms or, um, ways in which they can like affect change within individuals. Um, and so some of my, uh, some of my, uh, CIs and those sorts of things, um, were somewhat manual heavy in terms of just like how they approached it. Um, and it, it was funny. I had, I've had, um, let me think six CIs, um, in total. I've had like multiple CIs at different times and places or whatever. So, um, sometimes I'll like, I had a conversation with one CI and I was just like, yeah, I just am not sure like presented like evidence and talked to, I don't know. I, I essentially like talked my way out of like trying to feel like I was pressured to perform manual interventions on people that I didn't deem it necessary. 
Um, and they seem to be like totally okay with it, super receptive. And we're like, you know what? Totally fine. Like you do you. Um, and then I had a different rotation in which the clinician was also super receptive. Um, but they were like, you know, I, hopefully you can still gain some level of respect or some level of appreciation for some of these sorts of areas. And so, um, I think that that was definitely a, uh, I guess you call it a struggle in terms of, you know, trying to like truthfully like developing buy-in within some of the manual therapy procedures and those sorts of things. Um, I do think that there are some, uh, you go back to that kind of critical thinking area of, of things. I do think there's some poles within how people view manual therapy in terms of uh, the the skepticism. Like maybe people don't get good outcomes because their personal thought process behind manual therapy is not, um, I don't know, is not specific enough um, in terms of like, we know that there are non-specific effects. However, there can be certain skill levels associated with any manual task, not just manual therapy, but take something totally different, like solving a Rubik's cube. Like there's a skill to that, whether it's cognitive, but there's also psychomotor type skills involved. Um, and so I do think that there could be, you know, like does manual therapy not work or do you just suck at it? Right. Um, and so like, I think that I fall into that latter part of things. Um, and I don't know if it's something that I'm willing to spend like time and time and time again on perfecting those skills. I do still think that those are skills and that you can definitely affect change within um, other people's kind of, personal, I don't know, pain presentations. I noticed that a lot because my CI would tell me to do something in terms of a manual perspective and I'd try it and we're like, see, it didn't work. And then she would try it and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And so it's like, okay, there's probably some, some level of skill involved with that. Um, and so I think that was a, a challenge that I faced just in terms of kind of coming to terms with the fact that like, okay, I probably don't have buy-in for multiple reasons. One of them, because I have like some read some of the research on it, but two, like I may just not be good at this thing. And that's probably another factor as to why I'm not getting the outcomes that I think I'm getting or that I quote unquote should be getting. Um, and so I think that was something that I tried to sort of face of like, even like despite my best efforts to try and learn more about um, mechanisms behind manual therapy or mechanisms behind like why people get better, those sorts of things. Like there still are skills that we need to develop. And like, it's crazy to think that we're just going to, you know, have all the skills immediately necessary to be a clinician after three years of school and a couple of rotations. So, um, I think like over the course of that rotation, it's one of those things of, um, I was a little bit less skeptical or a little bit less, um, nihilistic about, you know, the implementation of manual therapy. So does that answer your question? No, yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, it for sure does. Like, I think going, into rotations we all kind of have like our foundation as like just out of like things we've learned in school and whatnot and um you know i can definitely see how like challenging those notions kind of with the story you just told would be like hard um no I, you definitely answered the question though nice yeah <laughs> um kind of going along that train of thought um throughout your time in pt school what have you changed your mind about mm. um that's a great question because probably the the short answer is everything um but if you want a more like uh, i don't know direct answer in terms of more detail but i'd probably say um 
it's funny how like social media recently or like in the last couple, I don't call it five years, um, has done a lot in terms of like the PT realm of things. I feel like what, um, what people used to call, I don't know, like new grad nihilism has now almost started to transition towards more like PT student nihilism in terms of, um, I feel like you see so many people posting online about like how, um, you know, all you have to do is just, you know, entertain patients while nature cures the disease and how, you know, everybody just follows a natural history and a regression to the mean and blah, blah, blah. And like all the kind of nihilistic perspectives in PT. Um, there's layers of truth to that for sure within PT. But um, I think students, especially myself, very much included, um, don't always have like the immediate uh, ability to assess a statement for what that statement is truly trying to say. Um, I think a lot of times people say that like the, the general statement of, Oh, a lot of times people regress to the mean, um, early on in my career, if as a student, uh, I interpreted that as, Oh, PT's BS. We don't even do anything. So why am I here? And so I kind of left my guard up for a pretty long time within PT in terms of like, Oh, well, like I already know, like I have a background strength and conditioning and like exercise is all I'm going to do with them anyway. So why do I need to even like go through PT school? I'm just going to kind of sit in the back, take some notes, pass the test, jump through the hoops necessary to get my diploma and then head out of here. Um, and I think that over time, um, there are a couple of times where I just like fully felt completely incompetent in PT school where like I knew that I needed to know what I was doing. Um, where like, I don't know, a, a, uh, lab instructor came up to me and was just like, yeah, yeah. Just like show me how you range somebody's hip. I was like, what are you talking about? why would I need to do that? And they're like, well, you know, just assess range of motion for like a post-op consideration or something. I was like, oh yeah. And I just like felt so awkward. And I just like did not come naturally to me or anything like that. And so I feel like that was the first kind of breakthrough. I was like, okay, there's more that I need to learn here. Um, And so in terms of things I've like changed my mind uh, about throughout PT school, um, I think there's a bunch of different things, but essentially it's just been a lot more um, like the, the main theme throughout everything has been, I've become more open-minded I feel like I thought that beforehand, like while like early on in PT school, I thought critical thinking was just being skeptical and just not believing things and saying, "Mm, there's not evidence to support that when you really haven't read the evidence. And there, you know, like there are other factors that you could probably analyze that would contribute to that, you know? And so, but you um, saw, but you saw the Instagram post though, whenever you were first year. So (laughs) yeah, exactly. That was me. So I can, I can speak personally. So. No, 100%. And and I think that there's a lot of people that like, I don't know, I approach those sorts of things and digest and take a lot of information and digest a lot of information from social media. And I honestly, I'm one of those people. Um, it just, you know, you got to make sure that you're coming through things and making sure you're appreciating what those posts are truly saying. And if you're actually buying into what they're trying to say or sell. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I like that you mentioned like the buy-in to what's being sold or <clears throat> mentioned because obviously you can learn about things as you like go throughout PT school, your rotations, practice or whatever, but like not like whether it's like hard for you to buy into it just because of like does research back it up or like, well, with my personal experience, um, you had a really good Instagram post about that. Um most recently. And I thought that kind of spoke well on that, you know, like research research can say one thing, one thing, personal experience can potentially say another. So 
I think keeping that lens kind of like you mentioned is really important. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things like, I think the post you're referencing was like talking about like people always compare one to the other saying like, well, research is 30 years ahead of practice or practice is 30 years ahead of research. And the analogy that I said was like, well, like what if they're just running different races, you know, like they're not ahead of each other or behind each other. Like they just have different goals inherently. And so it's like, sure, there's plenty of things from a research perspective that like people don't implement when they should. However, there's also plenty of things from a, uh, clinical practice thing that people see and like, well, uh, I don't know, visualize within clinical practice, but then let research and what they, uh, I don't know what they read kind of masquerade what they're actually like seeing in practice. So, um, I think just, you know, again, having a critical eye for everything that you're seeing and taking in, um, and just understanding that like both have very different goals. And so making sure that you can take information from both in order to help the patient in front of you is the I don't know, biggest takeaway. Or, sure, 100%. Um, shifting gears again, um, who has been your greatest mentor, uh, professional or personal? Um, and how have they been, or how have they influenced how you practice and kind of how you view things? That's a, that's a really good question, man. Um, I would say... So like professionally, I'll go that route. I would personally probably pretty easy. Like my parents, I could go on and on and on about my parents and like how much they've influenced me. Um, but this is a little bit more on a uh, PT side of things. So I'll lean into the professional side. Um, I guess backstory, like I never like throughout my clinical experiences and those sorts of things. Like I never really had like that classic CI that was like every single time you did something, they questioned it. And they were like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? A lot of my CIs were <clears throat> either had a mutual level of respect to the point where they could see where I was going or to be honest, some of them just didn't have um, a, a passion for the PT field as much as I did. And they were okay with, you know, letting a student take the reins for a couple of weeks. Um, so I would say um, I throughout PT school, I had an amazing mentor. Um, his name's Max LePage. Um, and he was kind of essentially that um, type of a CI to me, even though he's never like a CI of mine. Um, in the sense of like, he very much like was very respectful of like the thoughts and opinions and things like that, that I had would always ask, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like, how would you approach this? Well, what are your thing? How would you approach like this sort of situation? Um, however, he would always kind of back that up with, you know, like, how are you justifying that? Um, he was able to kind of, I don't know, push me in a, in different directions. And, um, throughout the time that I was, you know, kind of, he was mentoring me, I guess. And I was like shadowing at his clinic uh, or at the clinic that he was working at, um, he was going through an orthopedic residency. And so, um, it was really cool for me to just be able to see where, um, like where his clinical thought processes were going through as he was developing within the residency, um, and being able to see, um, like in a, in a good way, the phases of development that he was going through. Um, not at all. Like me as a student was able to pick out like the small minutia of like what he was doing differently, but just like the broad dissemination of like how he was, changing some of the ways in which he was practicing. Right. And so, um, I think that he had influenced or he has and continues to influence the way I practice, um, just in a way of kind of, uh, being able to understand and appreciate, um, an insane amount of research and insane amount of literature from his perspective, um, while still kind of coming to similar conclusions and still just kind of 
uh, being able to understand that like at the end of the day, you're working with a person um, and make sure that you're appreciating the fact that that person is in front of you asking you for help and, you know, being able to like actually help them rather than just immediately say, well, research says this, and this is what I'm going to do now. So um, those, I would say that would be probably like the biggest influence that I've had from a professional development standpoint. That's awesome, man. Max seen Max Page. He seems like a outstanding guy, and he, he just seems like a he's also pretty compassionate too. And that, that's awesome how he. It sounded like he would like really like let you speak out your thoughts, but like in a way wouldn't let you get away with things with, that were kind of like not thought out super deep. So, oh, for sure, yeah, no bullshit's getting by him. That's for sure. <laughs> there you go. It's good he gave me the. It's good he gave you the autonomy he gave you, which is so necessary, especially when you're you know trying to learn. Yeah, totally, man. Yep. All right, just a couple more questions, Dylan. Closing the show down in a bit, but regarding reading or books or are there has there been any good like resources that you've come upon that's like really impacted you that you'd you know encourage other students or new grads to read it, it doesn't have to be physical therapy related it, it could be anything it could be life related any any book that just really impacted you yeah for sure um kind of like i said before i'm i'm not a huge book reader um despite how it seems like every i don't know every pt ever is like oh my gosh like these are like the five different books that i always read and like have That's changed true. my practice you know um I, I honestly like, um, am uh, jealous of them in terms of like their ability to just sit down and like read for hours on end or I don't know, be able to I don't know, read a lot essentially. Yeah. Um, or, or it could be a resource I, sorry to interrupt to you or like, I don't yeah, know if there's sure. like a resource or a YouTube channel that you just really loved. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, I would say from, I'll lean into the book side of things, but I don't know, give a very general thing. I, I think that a lot of times we put a lot of value in the things that, we're learning outside of the clinic. Um, and I think that the PT profession is an interesting one and in that, um, we take a lot of stuff home, both literally and, uh, mentally. Um, and I think sometimes like finding those outlets that you can have that aren't PT related are incredibly helpful and incredibly impactful. And so, um, like personally for me, I like to learn more about music. I like to learn more about, um, you know, cycling or running or other types of areas in terms of the things like not even like cycling rehab or running rehab, just like, I don't know, different trails to go on or things like that. Um, so those are some things that like I personally really enjoy. And so to be honest, I feel like my cognitive bandwidth in the clinic is a lot greater because I don't go home and immediately try and read some new book supposed to like level up my PT critical thinking ability or something like that. Um, I, I do not discredit anybody who does that because it just takes more <laughs> mental willpower in my head. And so I, I appreciate everybody who does do that and dedicates their time to doing so. Um, that's just not me. Um, I would say um, in terms of resources, uh, in, incredibly biased from my perspective, but like we had talked about before, I feel like everybody that I've talked to that's been a part of the Cali community, I've been able to gel with and has been a truthfully like a truthfully like excellent cl clinician. So um, from a resource that is like costs nothing and is like has high reward, um, joining the Facebook community, joining, like following people on Instagram, like those sorts of things. Like 
that's been a honestly a massive impact on where I am today, like how I've got to be um, in the positions that I'm in. Um, so in terms of those sorts of things that I would probably say, like, I don't know, read books that you enjoy that have nothing to do with PT and join a, any community that you can resonate with and you feel welcome in. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you put it a good way. Like we don't all have to just be reading like the big giant book of whatever it is, like Joe Tata's like myth of low back pain or the squat Bible, like every day after, you know, eight to 10 hour day of clinical practice, maybe it's just better to kind of refill and for resources. Yeah. It seems like it just always comes back to just great people. And yeah, also Cali community. Love it. But uh, Dylan, last question for you. What's your definition of a great physical therapist? Ooh. Um, I feel like I, I, I listen to other people's um, like uh, answers. And honestly, I don't know if I'll say anything all that profound or new. But um, <clears throat> I guess in my head, like the, the definition of a, a great physical therapist is somebody – who gives a shit, but is not like going to put their values over the patients. Hmm. Um, so like they're going to, they're going to like make sure that they get that person back to wherever it is that person wants to get back to doing. I think that, um, in PT and the medical community and a lot of things, there's a lot of this kind of, uh, medical paternalism in terms of like, I know what's right for you. So you, that means that you are going to resistance train. You are going to I don't know, do more, energy systems development, you are going to do uh, more stretching. Um, all of those things are great. And I think that if somebody's willing to try those out in terms of means to, I don't know, feel better, get back to the terminal task they're trying to get back to doing any of those sorts of things, I think that's awesome. But if they're not willing to do it, I'm not beating a dead horse about it. Um, I think that a great physical therapist is going to recognize those things and be able to find entry points to meaningful activities regardless of whatever the implement that they're using is you crushed it you crushed it man <laughs> yeah thank um, you yeah, yeah so everyone go follow dylan on instagram at times new rehab that's still your uh, oh I, I did change it actually so oh, okay um yeah it is now just uh my name dylan carmody dot dpt um i figured it's the the original reason why I had created my like first Insta like my Instagram page was just because I was like typing things out essentially. And it was just in text format. Um, and so I thought it was just a fun play on words, but, um, yeah, now I'm just sort of like, I don't know. I'll just use my name and roll with it that way. Uh, so only the day ones understand. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Okay. So, and is there any other way like, I guess Instagram, like someone could probably message you if they have questions or anything, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if people feel more comfortable with email or something like that, you can um, feel free to reach out. My uh, email is carmody.dylan at gmail.com. Uh, it's just my last name and then my first name at gmail. So um, if that's more comfortable for someone to reach out, I'm more than happy to respond via email or Instagram or hop on a phone call or anything like that. Awesome. Thank you all so much for giving today's show a listen. If you found value in this, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. It really just helps the show get out to more people and create more impact. 
It would also mean a lot to us if you could share this episode or another episode you liked with a friend. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Bye-bye.